listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Open up your Bibles to Genesis 45, Genesis 45, and as we are continuing in this series here in the life of Joseph, and And a little bit of a shift today is going to take place. And ushers are coming forward. They have Bibles in their hands. If you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand. They will uh, give you a Bible. You can use that during the message here today. If you don't have a Bible of your own at home, please take that Bible home with you and allow God to do a work in and through your life through His Word. And, uh, and, and we love the Word of God, and so it's so good to see people bringing their Bibles and have a pen handy and, and a place to write um, some notes as we go through God's Word here today. Back many years ago, I interned in Terrace, British Columbia for four months in the summer as part of my college degree. Look at that young buck, hey? And uh, I was in culture shock moving from Saskatchewan, a Saski boy, surrounded all of a sudden by mountains and rivers and such beauty and and that we're just not used to that kind of thing. It was an amazing experience, that internship. It was amazing. And and I even got to catch, take a look at this. Uh, I know it's completely wrong. I did catch that. That's a real fish, you guys. Like, that's not a fake. Like, that's real. And, and I caught 38-pound Chinook salmon. Yes, yes, yes. What, what, what an exciting time. And, and, and the ministry part of that internship was good, too. You know, there, there was a lot of great things. But I was up there, and honestly, I was a little on the homesick side. And, and it was an awesome experience, but I was itching to get home. And when that internship ended, I ended up driving 27 hours straight from Terrace, B.C. to Regina, Saskatchewan, because I wanted to show up and surprise my family. And I did do that. They weren't expecting me home still for a long time, or, or for at least for another day. And, uh, and it was a sweet reunion where after four months, I could see my parents and grandparents and my siblings, even some of the younger ones, where uh, it was marginally okay in seeing them as well. It was a sweet reunion. And I'm sure we can all think of some sweet reunions that we've had Uh, with family, with friends, with loved ones. Well, could you imagine the shock here in Genesis chapter uh, 45, as we saw last week, where we'll start here today, when 130-year-old Jacob, when his sons all of a sudden show up with this entourage back home in Canaan and, and show up with this entourage of Egyptian wagons and provisions and sporting new clothes and money, and then they give this report, Dad, Joseph is alive. Look at chapter 45, verse 26 in your Bibles. Joseph is still alive, Dad, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. How is this possible after 22 years? This is, inc- this is crazy. And it goes on and says, and his heart became numb because he did not believe them. Was this just a cruel joke? Was he, were these guys just pulling his leg? I mean, I mean lies and t- trickery and deceit was a huge part of this family's heritage. So were these guys just kind of stringing him along? Look at verse 27, it says, But when they told him of all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. One translation puts it, warmth and life returned to his heart. 
And Israel, which was what God changed his name to from Jacob to Israel, and so we see it used interchangeably here. And Israel said, it is enough. In other words, he's like, okay, you've convinced me. He's alive. Joseph, my son, is alive. I will go and see him before I die. Now, this morning in our second last sermon from this series here in the life of Joseph, we're going to shift a little bit today from the focus on Joseph to a focus a little bit on, the fa- on his father, Jacob. We're going to look at Jacob today, and through this lens, through this perspective, encourage you to write this down, God in every part of my life. And the first area where we see God being very real and, and, and active in the life of Jacob was even in the failures. We see God in his failures. We can see God in my failures. And we've talked at length in this series, we're not going to go into all of it, of the level of failure and dysfunction in Jacob's life and family. Mistakes and regrets, things he said and did. I mean, and, and, and we even said the National Enquirer, remember that? I don't know if you still see those on newsstands in grocery stores. Or, or, I mean, this was National Enquirer level or Jerry Springer show levels of dysfunction that was taking place in this home. And from the womb, from the very womb, there were issues going on with young Jacob. And, and, and all throughout the 130 years up until now, he just did a lot of things where he was just clutching and grabbing and doing the wrong thing, it seemed. This guy was quite something. In Genesis 25, you can see that even at birth. It, it, it is noticed. It is, it is noticed by God enough to write it down in the Word of God that he was, jo- he was jockeying for position trying to grab his twin brother and uh, his twin brother's heel and, and trying to be the first one out of the womb. I mean, he was just a fighter. He was just always trying to, to trick, to cheat, do whatever he could. And even as a young man, he tried to cheat and trick his brother and his father out of the firstborn birthright and, and the blessing that came. And he not only tried to, he did do that. Later on, he tricked his uncle Laban and then he turned around and tricked him back in return. And, and, and so we just kind of see this, this kind of messed up, very strange kind of life that he was living. But he also had some amazing moments, some amazing seasons with God and experiences. But many of his years, especially when it came to being a husband and a father, were a complete disaster for him. The could've, the would've, the should'ves in his life would have just been enormous. But here at the age of 130, things were going to change. And you know what? When you read this story and when you hear that declaration at the age of 130, things were going to change. That just shows us that it's never too late for God to do a work. Never too late for God to work in a messed up, broken, young, middle-aged, old next to the grave kind of life. God is ready and will. This is a story of hope. And your story and my story, your family's story can be a story of hope. And today, regardless of who you are, what you have done, whatever the past is, whatever has brought you to this point in your life, or even maybe things are kind of progressing, but there's still some of those things. God can and He will use anything and everything for His glory and ultimately as well for our good that will result in our joy. God is the God of second chances. God is the God of clean slates, a fresh start. God is the God of the unending mulligan. 
any of you who are golfers. Just so you know, if you ever go golfing with me, I'm not that good, and I'm into so much grace, especially I want it for myself, that I like to golf with unlimited mulligans. Some of you are like, I don't even know what that means. That just means that when you really stink, um, you get to do it over. And, and, and so I get some pretty good golf scores um, because of that, because, well, we just won't count those first 10 shots. Mulligan, 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 and, and eventually you do get it. You know, and in life, this is our God. He is gracious, the God of the second chance, of the clean slate. But this new start begins for us today and can only begin. The God of second chances, the God who makes all things new, can and only begins when a sinner comes before him and surrenders their life to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, believing that Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone is the only way of salvation, dropping any sort of self-improvement projects that they're trying to clean up in order to be acceptable to, to God. It's being bankrupt before God, saying, I'm a sinner, I'm broken, I'm messed up, save me. And it's believing that Jesus then is that once-for-all sacrifice substitute for our sins where he died to pay the penalty that we deserve. And when a person takes and believes this supremely in their heart, gripping onto nothing else other than Jesus, recognizing their bankruptcy, their helplessness before God, and they, conf- they believe it in their hearts and they confess it with their mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord, you become a new creation. The old is gone, you become alive in Christ, the new has come. It's crossing from death to life, the curse of sin and death have been reversed at that point. And the Holy Spirit of God comes into our life to fill and to empower and strengthen us. And a new process begins in our life. We go from being saved to the pro- or being, being uh, lost without God to to come into a sanctifying process of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ, where we are transformed from one degree of glory to the next, 2 Corinthians 3.18. There all of a sudden is a hunger for God's Word, a deepening desire to live and obey God and His Word according to what He says, not according to what culture or what other people say, but what God says. And if there isn't a hunger for God's Word, if there isn't a hunger to want to serve God and to live for Him, you need to question even in your own heart, where are you at? Have you been truly saved in Jesus Christ? Or have the sins and the distractions piled so much you can no longer hear His voice? We need to do these self-examinations. And yes, there will be the setbacks and the struggles and the seasons of sin and doubt in our lives that can leave us feeling defeated. And maybe some of you are there today. And just like Jacob, called and chosen by God. Just like us, called and chosen by God. We can live in areas of regret and failure, but we have the God of the second chance. The unlimited grace of God. For Jacob, 130 years old, chosen by God. His family, his life in so many ways was a mess and a disaster, but it's a new day for Jacob. And believers in Jesus Christ here today, even unbelievers in Jesus Christ, this can be a new day for you as well. And as well as for those who have trusted Jesus Christ. You're worn, you're weary, you're discouraged, you're confused. Today can be that new day. Listen to just some of the reminders in God's Word. Psalm 103, verse 8. I just marinated on these verses this past week, and I want to share them with you. And and, and it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast 
steadfast love. That's our God. For Isaiah 1.18, some of you need to hear and be reminded of this today. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though you think your life is so stained and messed by sin, you can have a heart that is cleansed as white as snow. And so for us today, let's learn from this patriarch in the Old Testament and apply these truths to our life that even God is the God of the second chance. God in our failures. And so now in verse 46, we see that, 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 that Jacob and the family, they've loaded everything up into the wagons. The wagons uh, convoy has come with, pulled by donkeys, and there's horses and chariots, no doubt, and they're all loading it all. Maybe it looked a little bit like the Beverly Hillbillies. Uh, I'm not sure, old Jacob in there. What, wasn't his name uh, Jed? Jed, yeah, you know, and uh, son Jethro, and um, yeah, just anyways, great show. Uh, some of you are like, huh, what's that? Uh, you missed some good television back then. Or maybe it ended up looking like this, the caravan heading to Egypt. I don't know, they took everything with them. They took all the family, they took all the herds, they took all their possessions. They just loaded it all up. This was Vicky when he came from India. Uh, this is the stuff that he brought, right? All right. And so here they're, they're off, and the caravan is going, going to Egypt, going to be a great time. And, and, and yet there's something really interesting we see here. You see that Jacob, after regularly messing things up, Jacob gets something right. Because we see, second of all, God in my decisions. Write that down, God in my decisions. In chapter 46, we see as they're barreling down to Egypt... Jacob makes a surprise move. He makes a surprise move and the caravan comes to a stop. In fact, there's even, it is believed, a bit of a detour off the main road what took place here. Look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 46. So Israel took his, his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba. This was an out-of-the-way detour, but an important stop. Beersheba had been a very spiritually significant place for his family for generations, for Abraham, for Isaac, his father, and now for Jacob. Beersheba was a place where Abraham made a covenant with Abimelech. And, and it was a place where Abraham met with God and heard from God. It was a place where Isaac met with God. His father, in, in Genesis 26, you can read about this, when he went and inquired of God, and, and, and he went to Beersheba. And it was there that God told him, Isaac, don't you dare go to Egypt. Yes, there's a famine in the land, and there's hope for you in, in, in Egypt, but you are not to go. You stay in Egypt, and I will make you a great nation here in Canaan. Don't you dare go. Now, here, years later, Jacob, filled with great emotion and a great hurry and, and desire to get to Egypt, he stops because he wanted to get this one right. He had messed so many things up in the past. Now he's like, I need to do this right. I desire God's blessing. And look at what it says as it continues on in verse 1. He offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. These sacrifices that he offered were declarations. They were declarations of his heart. And first of all, they were declarations that he knew himself to be a sinner in need of pardon. It was a declaration of forgiveness. It was an act of humility and worship before God. It was surrender before Him. 
And thirdly, it was also a pilgrim in need of guidance. Forgiveness and surrender and guidance before God were these sacrifices. Yes, in the worst way, he wanted to get to Egypt. He wanted to be with his son. He wanted to see him after 22 long years. He wanted to get there in the worst way. And yet, he wanted to be right with God. Yes, he wanted to provide for his family, but he didn't want to go outside of what God would want. He didn't want to go if this meant disobedience and putting him in a place before God, that God did not want him to go. He was not willing in this situation, and he got this right. He didn't want to settle for success without presence. He didn't want to settle for success and, 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 and material things and even being reunited with his son if it meant being outside of God's will. You see, so oftentimes when it comes to our plans and our desires, and our dreams, and our decisions, it may seem right in our eyes. It may be based on emotion, or even good economics, or it just seems so practical that God is opening up doors, and we have opportunities to go through it. But are we seeking God? What does God have to say about these decisions in our lives? Because so oftentimes we can run in, and run out, and do all of these different things, and just kind of then come along and say, okay God, now bless me. But here instead, we are seeing God Jacob going before God in an attitude of repentance and worship and surrender, saying, God, what would you have? God, I need to hear from you. God, what are your plans for my life? We need to be doing the same. I enjoyed a good exchange with the elders this week as we recognize that the last few years have brought a lot of weariness and confusion for all of us. And, and, and much has been so revealed from fear and frustration to division to really showing what we truly value in life. And sometimes what we're truly valuing are, are things like that are really in opposition or not in alignment with God's plan or God's will for our lives. And yes, the political and social and economic concerns are huge. They're very real. But how vital it is that above all things in our lives that we be guarded and guided by good biblical theology, by God's guidance in our life. What does God's word have to say? And part of this elder exchange this past week were identifying some of the heretical ologies, as we termed it, that are bashing God's people today. Rather than good theology having an understanding of God and His Word and His ways, there's a lot of other ologies, like, for example, fleeology, where this is, an, this is where we make quick, drastic decisions in regards to our work, and in, in regards to relationships, where we live and what we do. We can just, just make these quick decisions. Or fearology, where our lives are driven by anxiety and worry, leading at times to irrational conversations and arguments and decisions that we are being made that, and we're being totally consumed by what's going on in the world today, in our family today, and, 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 and so we're consumed by this fear and this concern and so it's ruling our lives. Or meology. I'll do what's best for me. I'm looking out for me and my family. It's my dreams, my plans, my goals, my future. Get along with me, God. Let's go. Yes, Jonah, how well that went for him. 
or funology, where it's just, let's live for a good time. Just keep the music playing. Just keep the music going, and we'll just drown it all out. We're here for a good time. We're just going to bury our heads to anything that's going on. We're just going to have a great time and live for spills and thrills and pleasure. Funology. Or maybe it's fameology, where we think big and be big, or we're going to die trying trying to make a name for ourselves to leave a splash, to leave a strong ripple effect with our lives, have a following or whatever it might be. These are just some of the lies that can control our lives in, 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 in such powerful ways, controls our thinking and our decisions, and they hinder us in various ways, even ruining relationships, and especially our relationship with God because we are moving outside of His will for our lives. And perhaps God... Even here today, listening online, listening online or watching on the live stream. Maybe some of you here, God is calling you to make a major move in your life. Teenagers, young adults, young marrieds, middle aged, more mature, any one of us. Moves that on paper might not make a lot of sense. Moves that could upset or even disappoint people. Yet God is calling you into a specific area of ministry, into an area of obedience. Maybe it's missions. Maybe it's going to Bible school. Maybe it's an area of work. Maybe it's changing locations. But it's got to be mission-motivated, nothing else. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have to understand, and I say this oftentimes, the reason, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the reason why you are still sucking air is for mission, is that we would be a part of the great commission that we are called to be a part of that Jesus has, has put in front of us. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, the reason why you're still alive is because God is so patient, not wanting you to perish, and wants you to come to Him in, in full and complete repentance before Him. We've been made to be on mission for Him. Even in a job and career and education and, and, and our living locations, perhaps, all of these decisions must be bathed in prayer, seeking God's will, God's word, His guidance, and His blessing. Not, not just going with knee-jerk actions or reactions, but rather kneeling before our great God in repentance, in worship, and surrender what we see. If we can go back to that last slide just again, where it talks about that, because that's what needs to be guarding and guiding our lives, that forgiveness. Oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Oh God, I surrender myself to you in worship. I surrender my life to you. I surrender everything to you. Oh God, based on this now, would you guide me? And when we go in that order and are being guided then by God's word, He will guide. He will guide His children. For us as a church, we're asking you to pray. Church leadership is wrestling and praying, exploring our future. What does it mean to be faithful in living out the mission, the great commission that God has given to us as a church, to us as believers? And so we're exploring, we're praying. You'll be hearing more of that, Lord willing, in the coming weeks. But one thing I can guarantee you, the future won't involve yours or my comfort or ease. Just saying it, okay? That's what heaven is for. Heaven is for comfort and ease. Not to say that we shouldn't and, 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 and can't have times of rest. Some of us, we can run too hard. We need to be praying for 
Brett and Rebecca. They're on some holidays right now, away with family. I don't know if that's holidays or not in Ontario. I mean, that's just Ontario family. Like, that's just... Anyways, we, we need times of rest and refreshing. But man, some, some people just take that to an extreme. And we're resting and refreshing, and we're not on mission for God. That's not Hope Bible Church here in Kelowna. We're on mission for God we have work to do until he calls us home or he returns. And let's face it, space is limited here at the hall, praise the Lord. Both our services are, are, are full, are filling up. Our kids' area is crammed. You go into the Hope Club, Clubhouse there on Sundays and you get kids doing some lively worship and a few leaders in there. That place is rocking. And, and, and it's small. And, 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 and I mean, people just just keep having babies, and we just love it, and that's wonderful. Why They have to have these babies that are then being brought up in the Word and the ways of God here at the church and in their home so we can have babies that grow up to be teenagers, to grow up to be young adults who are going to love Jesus and serve Him. Amen? That's why we're on mission. And, and, and for the hundreds and thousands and the hundreds of thousands in this region, the millions in our nation, the billions in our world who need Jesus, that's why we are going to be uncomfortable for him. And that's why we're going to ask you to be uncomfortable and to be sacrificial and to put up with inconveniences and not having the most comfy of seats, perhaps. Again, all that comfort, that's coming in heaven. And even there, man, we're, we're not even going to be, I mean, we're just going to be exploring. I mean, the, the, the glorious universe that, I mean, yeah, it's just going to be, oh. but until then, we've got work to do. And it's, this isn't about being edgy or cool or different or just trying to make a name for ourselves. This is seeking God, desiring to be faithful, taking bold steps of faith and sacrifice individually and collectively as the body of Christ and leaning on Him and His Word and wise counsel for guidance. So let's be praying. Let's be praying for wisdom. Let's be praying individually in our lives in a mission field where God has placed you. Would we be praying for, as a church that we would be faithful, praying for wisdom, faith, and sacrifice. But look what happens in verse 2, chapter 46. He makes these sacrifices before God. And it says, And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Jacob gets the blessing from God. He gets the green light. He gets to go. Now, he's telling Jacob there may only be 70 of you right now. You might only be a family, but you're going to come out of here, Israel. Israel, you're going to come out as a nation, as a mighty nation. Now, some of you might be saying, well, I just wish God would show up to me like he did for Jacob. You know, I'd love to hear that audible voice. I would like to have that direct line from God. He already has given you that direct line. And he will direct your life. And he will lead you. Position yourself. Position yourself to hear from God. And how do we do that? God, 
I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness. God, I worship you. I surrender to you. And God, would you lead me and would you guide me? And God does reveal himself to us with an incredibly direct line. It's in 66 books. 66 direct line links to us. 2 Peter 1.19 says, For we have the word of God which is more certain than the prophets, more certain than the dreams and the visions and the audible voices that we can sometimes ask for or look for or wait for. And then confused, was that really God? We have a sure and better word here in the word of God. It's all in the book. The will of God is the word of God. You want to know God's will for your life? Build your life on the Word of God. Read and know His Word. Walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Live this life of repentance, surrender, worship, and ask God in humility for guidance. And as we, as, and this happens in part as we gather as God's family for worship, for teaching, for fellowship, for service. And, 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 and we also ought to be seeking wise counsel from godly brothers and sisters in Christ in our groups from church leadership. We desire to walk with you and pray with you. And as we form and frame our church, our lives, our families, around God's word and in God's ways, we desire to follow it. God will lead and guide and provide and show you those next steps. Oh, it's going to require steps of faith, steps of obedience along the way. Don't be surprised if all of a sudden it starts going down and it's just like, what's going on? And God's like, I got you in this. I got you. Well, let's go. Next we see God in my sweet reunions, our last point here today. God in my sweet reunions. God in my decisions, God in my failures, but God in my sweet reunions. The, the rolling caravan is heading down to Beersheba and they're rumbling down to Egypt to the region of Gosham. Which, Lord willing, next week we'll talk about this region. It's pretty cool what God did. And, 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 and yeah. Anyways, that's for next week, so advertisement for that. Um, but, but here they meet in Gosham, the agreed-upon place that Joseph was going to meet up with them. And could you imagine in the horizon for Jacob to be there? And he starts to hear, I mean, his 130-year-old dim eyes aren't working so well. And they say, there, there's, there's an approaching group coming in, on the horizon, we can see the plume of dust, and as it gets closer, Jacob starts to see the dust for himself, and they hear the rolling of the chariots. The second in command of all of Egypt is coming in his designer chariot, and, and, and all of a sudden, someone shouts, It's Joseph! The last time Jacob saw his son Joseph, he was walking away from him. He was walking over the horizon. He was heading out to go check on his brothers, never to see him again. Now, 22 years later, he hears the word, it's Joseph. And can you imagine that sweet moment when they embrace, their eyes lock, their arms take and embrace. And look what it says in 46.29. It says, he presented himself and fell on his neck and he wept. He wept on his neck for a good while. There was over 20 years wrapped up in that embrace. What it says in verse 30, Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Those verses there, don't they sound vaguely familiar to some New Testament passages, perhaps, if you think about it? 
In Luke chapter 2, when Simeon, the faithful servant of God, took and he beheld baby Jesus in his arms and weeping and declared, my eyes have seen thy salvation. Let your servant depart in peace. The son that Jacob was now embracing, whose neck that he was, was crying upon, whose eyes he was now looking into, would be the one who would also help to be responsible for Simeon's embrace and statement to take place. For it was in this family's lineage that Messiah would come. But this also reminds us of another story in Luke 15. The story of the prodigal son, where the prodigal returns home. And his father is weeping as he embraces his son. And what does he say? This is my son who was dead and is now alive. That was Jacob's cry. I thought you were dead, but you're alive. And you know, there are many great frozen in time moments we talked about last week. These great crowning moments in our lives. Whether it's the, the good news that we receive or a birth or of, of a child or a marriage or a graduation or maybe it's that family reunion that you just remember and just held. That was such a great frozen in time moment. Maybe it was that, that job acquisition. Maybe it was that ministry success where it was just like, that was so awesome. And maybe it was a reunion with a long lost friend or a family member and, 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 and all of a sudden you see them after a period of time and God has brought you together and it's so amazing and you're so thankful. Well, this reunion for Jacob and Joseph, a father or the father and the prodigal in, in chapter Luke or, or, or even Simeon embracing Jesus, these are the sweetest reunions of all. These are the most important reunions. Everything else on a material level, fades in comparison. John chapter, 3 John verse 4 says, For there is no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. There's no great, that's the greatest reunion of all, to know that your children are walking in truth. No greater joy. Because this means that yes, there may be some sweet reunions here on earth, but there's going to be the ultimate reunion one day in heaven. On March 8th of this year, my uncle was 89, my dad's old, oldest brother went home to be with Jesus. And I can't imagine the reunion. Seeing Jesus face to face. Seeing his wife who, who passed away seven years ago. And then to be reunited with his son Dallas, who died in a car accident along with two others at the age of 16 on the way to a church event. The, the death of Dallas ripped at the heart of the family, but especially at my uncle. Well, what a sweet and ultimate reunion took place on March the 8th of 2022 after 43 years, father and son were reunited in the ultimate of reunions. They will be united for all time and eternity. There is no greater joy than these kind of reunions that we have with family members, with friends, loved ones. We can plan and strive and sacrifice for our kids and to give them a good life, a good education, great experiences. You know, the things that we never had when we were kids. So I'm going to make sure that they have what I didn't have. We want them to do well. We want them to be successful, which is good. That, that should be all parents' hopes and dreams and desires. 
And yes, there is a happiness and a fulfillment when they achieve success in in school or in sports or in music or in in just the giftings that God has given them. And and there's these proud moments, these good, proud moments. But all of those, puny, small, incomparable when it comes to the true joy and satisfaction grounded in knowing that there's something greater and deeper that our children are walking with the Lord. No greater joy than them than knowing that they have this union with Christ that will lead to the ultimate reunion one day. This is why we pray, we strive, we pray, we strive. We desire to set a godly example of a life committed, devoted to Christ, doing it with joy, with thankfulness, gratefulness, in our spiritual commitments and pursuits of holiness, learning and applying God's word into our lives and living God's word the best that we can. And when we mess up, we fess up, we make it right before God, we make it be right before them. We learn together. We grow together with God's family. We learn in this pursuit of holiness. We, we, we sacrifice when it comes to the things of this world, instead of, of that big being the, the biggest focus, but we make the sacrifice. Parents, I strongly encourage you. Young, you have young children, whatever age they are, encourage your kids for a year of Bible college. For them to be able to go and study the Word of God. Now, be careful what school you go to. You'll be hearing more about that this fall. Uh, some encouragement in that direction and that, and, and, and seek out good schools because there's some that aren't so good. But make these sacrifices for your kids to learn the Word of God. And, and, and if, if God's family and worship and the things of God are a low priority for us as parents, don't expect it to be a high priority for your kids. It's not just what is taught and what is said, it's what is caught with the heart motivation behind it. And, and, and even with this, God can restore Lord willing, next week we'll, we'll continue this theme about God in every part of our life as we look at God in the rest of my life and God in my death, a unique look at death and dying. It'll be a real killer next week, I tell you. <laughs> as we'll learn from Jacob and his broken but yet healing, God reuniting family. Significantly, it's so interesting. I love some of the number things at times in the Word of God. But Jacob would be given 17 years more with Joseph and with his family, which is the exact number of years that they had in Canaan before all the treachery and deceit and that separation happened. Jacob could have easily have said, and we'll see some of the choice things he says towards the end of his life, but he easily could have lived and proclaimed the words that were later penned in the word of God, like in Joel chapter 2, that God restored the years that the locusts had eaten. God can restore the brokenness. God can restore and bring new life. Or from Isaiah 61, that God can and will bring beauty from the ashes of our burnt out lives. And it goes on to say in Isaiah 61, he will bring forth and said, oaks of righteousness. He will take those ashes and bring forth something great and mighty. That's our God. That's the business he's in. The Okanagan wildfire in 2003 brought great de- devastation, leaving things pretty devastated, destroying hundreds of homes, burning over 25,000 hectares 
in this region. Well, 12 years ago this summer, we moved to Kelowna, thinking we were following God's leading. But things didn't go as we had planned at all. But they all went according to God's plan. And we went through a tough wilderness burnout experience, I guess you could say. And that burnout area up behind our house that was destroyed in that wildfire became a special place for me, a sanctuary, so to speak. And there were times that I would be up there and I would just be calling out to God and i just trying to figure out what His plan and His purposes were. And at times I, I would just like, it's so ugly up here! It's so dead, it's so dying, it just, and, and it just kind of maybe reflected what was going on in my life and what my future, I seemed to think, looked like. But one day in my wanderings, I came across this rock with a cross etched into it. And this became a special place of surrender. It became a special place of worship and prayer for that season in my life. On July 1st of 2012, we went up there as a family because then, at that point, we were extremely confused disappointed, heartbroken, and uncertain of our next step. And we went up there as a family and we prayed together. And in that ugliness and just the barrenness it would seem, God was bringing new life. As we walked home, we picked all these beautiful flowers. All along the path, all along in the wildness, in the burnout ugliness, God was bringing beauty. Beauty from the ashes. And we prayed together as we walked home. And we prayed together there at the cross and we just said, God, we don't know what to do. And as we walked home and enjoyed the flowers in that beautiful Okanagan day, it was such a reminder to us, God can and He will bring beauty. He can do that in your life. Now this is a part, the next step, that I just love because God, a lot of times it's just so cool how He just shows up in His nature, in His ways. And now on my bike path, every day as I go biking past this, I get to see this beautiful picture. Out of a burnt out stump is this new life. This sapling, this tree, it's now about this tall, and every time I go by, no one better have torn that down. No one better wreck it. I'm thinking of erecting like a fence around it or something. And just a reminder once again, from the ashes, he brings beauty, he brings life. He can and he will do that in your life. Perhaps today you're looking at your life, and you're facing areas where it just seems like things are a burnt-out stump. There's regret and failure and brokenness. Or maybe... You're at a crossroads of a decision in your life and you're seeking God's guidance. And you've been allowing the circumstances around you and, and, and fleshly desires and, and, and pressures and, and, and fears to consume your thinking. And you need to be thinking, we all need to be like Jacob there at Beersheba. For us today, Beersheba, we don't need to go to a mountain, we need to go to the foot of the cross. Because that is now our Beersheba. That is where we can meet with, where we initially need to meet with God in surrender for salvation, but regularly we need to keep coming to that place. Where, do we, where are we needing God's forgiveness in our life? What do you need to surrender to God? What decisions? What sweet, there, there we go. What do we need to surrender and where do we need God's guidance in our lives? Chances are we're fitting somewhere in there. We're needing forgiveness in His grace. We need that daily. Where do we need to surrender? We need to do that daily. Where do I need God's guidance? We need that daily in our lives. But in the little areas, but also in the big pictures. Where do we need this? Let's bow our heads. In a few moments, we're going to worship and spend time at the foot of the cross. Jesus Christ made that walk for us.
to Calvary carrying the cross. Jacob went to Beersheba and there he met with God. My hope, my desire, my prayer is that we too would meet with God here today at the foot of the cross where we remember the love and the sacrifice of what Jesus did. Today, perhaps that your walk to come and to receive the Lord's Supper is one of repentance. It's one of surrender. It's one of God Would you guide me? Would you direct me? Spend time examining your life in these three areas. It's at the cross where we were forgiven freely and continue to experience forgiveness freely from our God. We need this every day, but today in a special way, make the walk to the cross. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, this is for you. There's two cups, one inside the other, one with the grape juice, one underneath with the bread. There's two tables here at the front. There's one at the back. You can just get to whatever one you want and then hold on to those cups and we'll partake together at the end of this song. But while we are worshiping, while we are uh, spending this time, would you also be examining your life in forgiveness and surrender? Saying, God, would you lead and would you guide me? Would you lead and guide my decisions and my family and my future? Reminder that the Lord's Supper is for the child of God to those who've committed their lives to him as Lord and Savior. Take time to examine your life, your heart before him. And then later on, we will partake together. Jesus made the walk for us. Let's make the walk and humble ourselves before him, surrendering it all to him, God, in every part of my life. Let's worship the Lord together.